Let's pray together. Our God, it is indeed good to be here in this place, in a place where we can sing loud, where it is a safe place, safe enough for us to confess our sins, to say to you, the holy God, that we are not holy. Thank you that because of our high priest, Jesus, this is safe. We can come into the presence of a holy God and not be consumed except by your love. Thank you. We thank you that because of our Jesus Christ, we live in this world as people of hope. And that has been so necessary as we mourn the loss of Professor Bauma, as we stand with Professor Deborah Reinstra and the loss of both of her parents within a month, as there are others we know who have lost grandparents. We pray for those who need hope today, for those who are still waiting to hear about jobs, either for the summer or for real, or for internships or for housing who need hope. We pray today for our student, Jody Van Salkma. She travels home early from her semester in England to face surgery. And we ask, Lord, that all goes well and that the numbness and tingling in her arms and legs will be completely healed and that she'll be able to be back with us in the fall. We thank you for the good care that caught this. We thank you that she's able to go home to California. Lord, we pray for others in our community who are in need and maybe can't even express it, that they're so anxious about finals, that they're anxious maybe about learning disabilities or about anxiety itself. Or maybe there's that one class that has just been a struggle the entire semester. So, Lord, help us. We pray for our community. We pray for Schulte Eldersveld, we thank you for the community that they have together. And we pray that even in this season of stress, that they will lean into each other, that they will lean into shalom and lean into kindness when it's so easy to be curt and rude, when we're all tired. And so, Lord, we pray for Schulte Eldersville to be a place of rest and joy for all who live there. Lord, we thank you that this event, this service, this loft has been a place where many of us have found home, where we see our friends, where we worship together, where we know that our needs are cared for. We thank you for Lauren and Kendra who stood before us and said thank you. We thank you that you give us opportunities to give to others. And for the many others who receive from the fund, we ask your blessing on them. And we ask your continued blessing on us that giving will simply be a habit. It will be something that we do out of gratitude for all that you have done for us. So thank you for another year of worship, another year of generosity, another year of delving into your word. And now, Holy Spirit, as we open up your word, we pray that you will move within and among us, that you will take this story that Jesus tells, this prediction, actually, of what is yet to come. And you will use it in our lives to transform us more and more into the people that you need us to be. 
for the pursuing and building of your kingdom. And we pray all of this in the name of our Jesus and all God's people say, Amen. So we've been looking at Matthew 25, and we're going to finish the chapter today. This is on page 807 in your pew Bibles, page 807. Matthew 25, we'll read from verse 31 through verse 46. This is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, "Uh, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food? Or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then you will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? You know, I really like that New Testament God a lot more than I like that Old Testament God. And generally, what they're thinking of then is the Old Testament God who's into the smiting and the punishing and the earthquake opens up and the people fall in and, you know, he sends people into battle to kill other people and then they don't do well enough and he sends them prophets and then he just sends them off into exile. And the New Testament God they're generally thinking of is Jesus sitting on a hillside telling stories to people and healing them and being kind to children and small animals. That's kind of the vision they have. Well, when you hear people talk about that, you have to wonder if they've actually ever read the New Testament. 
Because Jesus, here, the one who sat on the hillside teaching, who was healing people, who was kind to children, and we assume small animals, he is the one who says judgment is coming and he is going to be a part of it. Jesus. Jesus is the one who says judgment is going to come and I am going to be right there in the thick of it. Because judgment is not an Old Testament thing. Judgment is a God thing. God is holy. It's hard for us to even really understand what that means. But but God is so holy that he cannot tolerate anything that is not holy. And the time will come when our holy God will need to separate out those who are clean from those who are unclean and those who are righteous from those who are unrighteous and those who are holy from those who are not holy. The judgment is going to come because our God cannot tolerate injustice. He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate evil. And the time will come, Jesus says, when he will separate these things out. Judgment is coming. And in this way, we need to be really clear, and I owe you a bit of an apology, because in the weeks leading up to looking at this passage of Scripture, we've been talking about parables, and we're doing this series on parables, but we need to be really clear, this is not a parable. Jesus uses the imagery of the sheep and the goats for a reason I'll explain in just a minute, But this is predictive. What Jesus is talking about here is something that is going to happen. There will come a day when the Son of Man comes in all his glory with all the angels with him and he will sit on his throne and glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people out. He will separate people out, he says, as clearly and as easily as a well-trained shepherd can separate out the sheep from the goats. Sheep, sheep, goat, sheep, goat. A shepherd knows exactly how to do this. And Jesus says, when the time comes, it will be very clear to me how to separate these things out. There will be people who have done exactly as I asked them to do. They will have fed the hungry and clothed the naked. They will have visited those who are in need. They will have welcomed in the stranger. And there will be people who haven't. Now, this is where we could take a little bypass and say, well, is is Jesus saying here that people earn their way into heaven? Is he saying here that the good deeds we do are actually the way in which we get into heaven? Is this actually kind of a works righteousness passage? No. To say that is to ignore the previous 24 chapters of Matthew where Jesus has been very clear that he is the son of God. That he is the Messiah sent into the world to redeem it and that you need to believe that. And once you believe that, you need to live as if you believe that. The parables that we have read up until this passage are parables that he taught to his disciples because he wanted them to be ready. He wanted them to live out the salvation they already had through him. So we we looked at the parable of the bridesmaids. 
And a big takeaway is you need to be ready, he says. Judgment is coming. I am coming. You need to be ready. And we looked at the parable, the talents, where Jesus says, everything you've been given, all the stuff in your soul and all the stuff in your pockets, all of it needs to be used for advancing the kingdom. Jesus gives them the parable of the bridesmaids and he gives them the parable of the talents so that when the judgment comes, they will be ready because they will be living out of their salvation and into the life of the kingdom. Did you notice, by the way, that both groups of people are completely clueless? Right? The righteous are like, what? No, what? I don't remember. Tyler, Mackenzie, do you guys remember? Steph, did we see these? Did, I don't remember doing that for Jesus. Do you remember doing that for Jesus? They had no idea. And the people on the left, they're like in a panic. They're like, what? When did we see you? We didn't see, I did, did I see you? Because when you live your life in a pattern, there are certain things that just you stop thinking about. You're, just, you're not even aware of it. And when you're living your life for the kingdom, you build in habits that move you toward holiness. It just becomes second nature. It simply becomes what you do. You get up for church on Sunday morning. Part of what you do is you write the check. You put it in your pocket. You go to church. You put it in the plate. Part of what you do is you set aside one day every month where you go to the nursing home and you see who needs a visitor. Part of what you do is there's the jail ministry and you just sign up for it and once a month you go to the jail and you worship with people in the jail. You just, it just becomes part of what you do. To the point where you're just not even thinking about it anymore. You set up the habits that move you toward holiness to the point where you it's just what you do think about it this way in these next couple of weeks you're going to have these kinds of conversations do you remember when we do you remember when we were studying until three o'clock in the morning and then it just started to pour and we decided to go out for a run in the rain at three o'clock in the morning do you remember that that was so awesome do you remember that time when so-and-so was laughing so hard they fell out of the top bunk? Do you remember that? It was so funny. And you're going to have stories around campus that go something like this. Do you remember when I came back from lab and I was so frustrated because I just couldn't get it right and I hadn't finished the lab report and we met for dinner and I knew I was going to go, have to go back to the lab and finish that stupid thing and I was really frustrated and so we ate dinner and I was telling you all of this and I went back to the lab and about an hour later you showed up at the lab with a Culver's shake for me. Do you remember that? And the person's going to go, I totally forgot that. That's what Jesus is talking about. When you make caring for others just simply part of who you are and what you do to the point where you just don't even think about it anymore, you're going to get to the end time and he's going to go, do you remember when you brought the shake to the, the person who was having such a heart and you'd be like, when did I? I don't remember doing that. And the person's going to be right there going, yeah, that was me. You totally did that for me. <laughs> and Jesus is going to be like, high five. Good job. <laughs> 
these are habits that we all need to work at. These, these things that he tells us to do, they're very inconvenient. It's very inconvenient to set aside time every month to feed the poor, to go to degage once a week, as many of you do. That's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to practice service. It's inconvenient to open your home to strangers so that they can spend the night on your futon because they're just kind of at a loss about what to do. I mean, that's just, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. It takes effort. It takes work. We have to try to fit these things into our lives so that eventually they simply become part of our lives. And I think because they're inconvenient, there are a lot of people who don't do them. And you know the excuses. Eh. It's, 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 I just don't have time for that right now. My life is kind of busy. It's, it's finals next week. Well, you know, if people are hungry, they should just get a job. Aren't people in jail for a reason? There are people who don't do these things, and the surface may be, it's inconvenient. But I think there's a deeper reason why people don't do the things that Jesus asks us to do, and that's because there are people who really don't believe Jesus. They really don't believe that there is going to be a judgment. They really don't believe that there are going to be people who are sent away into eternal punishment. They really don't believe that that's going to happen, and they really don't believe that it could happen to them. They really don't believe that they are at risk, that they could be sent to hell. That we could be sent to hell. Because the truth of it is that we can be working really hard on our holy habits and we're not getting any holier. We find that we still struggle with gossip and we're still frantically worrying about our life even though Jesus tells us not to and we find that we'd still be really embarrassed if anybody searched our internet browser history. We know, don't we? But we are deeply sinful. And we deserve eternal punishment. We deserve to be sent away. God should send us away. Instead, he sends us Jesus. Instead of sending us away in order to guard his holiness, he sends us Jesus who takes on our sin who takes our sin in his body on the cross. And as Paul writes, while we were still sinners, still stuck, still miles from holy, he died for us. 
God, in his mercy, when he should have sent us away, when he could have sent us away, instead he sends us Jesus. And then he sends us the Holy Spirit. He sends us the Holy Spirit to empower us so that all the little decisions we make, all the ways in which we are trying to bring the holy into our lives, all the ways in which we struggle, the Holy Spirit is there to help us and encourage us and keep us going and say, you can do this. Tomorrow can be better than today. When we were the least of these, when we were the ones down and out on the street corner, when we were the ones who had no hope, when we were the ones who were so caught up in our addiction we didn't see a way out, when we were the ones who were so consumed by an eating disorder we thought it would take us down, when we were the ones who were so caught up in our pride we could never think of anyone else, it was then that Jesus said, you are hungry for my love, and he fed us. You are thirsty for grace, and he poured it on us. You are in need of a friend, and he welcomed us in. As the song says, Jesus picked us up and turned us around, and he set our feet on solid ground. And our response to that is, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And because Jesus did that for us, when we were the least, all we want to do is do that for other people. This is the culmination in Matthew 25. This is what it looks like. When you are living a grateful life in response to what God and Christ has done for you, you cannot help but care for the poor. You cannot help but feed the hungry. You cannot look out for those in jail. You cannot help but visit those who are in the hospital. It animates you. It brings you joy because God did that for you. And so you want to do that for other people. Is it inconvenient? Yes. Do we stumble around and are we bad at it most of the time? Yes. But does the Holy Spirit keep moving us toward this? Yes. Because we want to be people who are ready. We want to be people who are using everything in our hearts and souls and everything in our pockets for the advancement of the kingdom. We want to be people who, when the judgment comes, and this, the Lord says to us, thank you, we say, I don't even know what we did. And he said, you did it for the least of these. And that was like doing it for me. And so all of you who have struggled and all of you who have longed, and all of you who have been hungry, he's going to say, come on home. Come on home. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Because I gave myself for you, and you gave yourselves away. Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom 
that you have been longing for and working for and sacrificing for all your earthly lives. Come, those who understand what it means to spend your life for the things that matter. Come, those of you who know what it means to live the life that I have called you to live. Come, all of you who know what it's like to labor and have no one see what you are doing. Come, come home. Come home. Come home. Your Calvin education is worth nothing if it doesn't result in this kind of life. Spend your life on the things that matter. Work to hear your master say, well done. Will you pray with me? Our God, so much, so much you have done for us, so much. In this room, there are people who have walked away from addictions with your help. In this room, there are people who are facing up to mental illness with your help. In this room, there are people who are living celibate lives with your help. In this room, there are people who are investing in friendships even when it costs them with your help. In this room, there are people who are seeking to live for the kingdom with your help. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that as you have given yourself for us, we indeed will have the courage to give ourselves away, to spend it all, on the things that matter most. For your glory, O Lord, and not our own. Jesus, Son of Man, King of Kings, we pray this in your holy name. Amen.